Today, we get to talk to the papal ninja, Sean Bryan from the American Ninja Warrior series. We get to talk about his challenges to his Catholic faith, as well as his growth and development in the faith. In addition to his life as a peak performance athlete, he's also leading the evangelical mission of the church for men like you and me. And we talk about that. Stay tuned. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us to another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. I am your host, John Heinen. Sam couldn't make it with us today, but that's okay because we've got an exciting guest. If you have never seen us or heard us, we'd love it if you clicked on that subscribe button wherever you're at. If you're listening to it on a podcast player, if you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to click that subscribe button. We're going to have a lot of stuff in the show notes that show a little bit more about The Catholic Gentleman and our guest today. So our guest today is Sean Bryan. He is most known for his participation in the hit show, American Ninja Warrior. I know I've got a couple nephews that are going to be really excited that I am interviewing you today, uh, where he has taken on the identity of the Papal Ninja, stealthily taking on his role in the mission of the church to evangelize the world. What you likely do not know is that Sean received his Bachelor's of Arts at UC Berkeley, where he studied physics and was on the men's gymnastics team. He completed his Master's of Arts in Theology with a Salesian Studies concentration at the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology. As his master's thesis moved him, he began to explore ways that the lay faithful can animate the church's mission. He works on an apostolate or in an apostolate called the Lay Mission Project. He also runs Traverse Fitness, which is a ninja warrior gym that trains next generation ninjas, including underprivileged children whose memberships are discounted or subsidized through donations. There is so much going on in your life, Sean. Congratulations. But how are you doing today? I'm doing great today. Yeah, just juggling everything. And uh, I'm glad I was able to make it. Yeah, likewise. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, we've got a real fun, I've got a fun plan to walk through on these, but let's start from the beginning, right? Tell our listeners a little bit about um, where you got your your start. And I like to add elements of, you know, were you always Catholic? Were, you know, did you have a, a faith journey that that's unique uh, to you uh, to, to come out and publicly identify yourself as a Catholic papal ninja, I think is really great. And so I'd love to hear from you just from the beginning. Well, from the beginning, that's a lot to, that's a lot to that's put right. out there. Exactly. But, uh, I'll try. If you have any, any questions in the middle, feel free to stop me because that's, that's, that's a lot. Will do. Um, well, um, my name is Sean Bryan. I'm the son of Kevin and Diane. And uh, I was born when my dad was in the army. So I was born in Georgia, actually. But very soon thereafter, I moved to San Jose, which is my dad's side of the family in California. Mm. Um, I guess you could say I'm a cradle Catholic. I've been uh, baptized while I was still in the cradle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the earthquake of 89, my mom wasn't really comfortable around uh, being living in California. And at the same time, uh, her father, my grandfather, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. So she mm. wanted to be with him in his last year. So we moved out to New Jersey and most of my childhood was spent in New Jersey. Um, let's see. I went to Catholic school until fourth or fifth, fourth, second day of fourth grade. <laughs> oh. uh, then we had a, a bit of a falling out, I guess you could say the, I got an earring put in uh, during the summer before 
and they wouldn't let me keep it in with a Band-Aid on it for another week before it healed. Um, so they did that. And there was a couple of other things that just didn't really sit well with my mom. So we went to public school. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after that, uh, I went back to Catholic school for high school and I hated it. I just did not want to be a part of it. I was losing all my friends. I was the, I was the cool kid coming from a Catholic school, going to public school. And I had started to become like this really cool guy who was into, into gymnastics, which is a sport that, that the kids didn't do there. And it was just unique and special. And I was, did flips and impressed people and did break dancing moves and everyone liked me, but then there was no history of that once you go to high school and then things just mm -hmm. change. Right. And I had no friends there until well, I should say no, but I felt like I didn't really have good friends there until my junior year. And I just didn't like it at all. Um, but I think it was one of the best things that happened to me is, is to go there because around my junior year, I started to develop those friendships and, um, uh, where gymnastics used to help me be the cool kid. And then in high school, it suddenly made me the unpopular kid because I didn't do anything for the school. And I would mm -hmm. just leave immediately at the end of school and I would do my own thing and then come back and there's no context of relating outside of classes. Um, but I started to, uh, uh, do some wiffle ball during, during, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, what's it called there during uh uh lunchtime and i started to to get involved in little things like the uh the, the wrestling coach wanted wanted me really badly but i told him i could only come to every other practice and because my brother was a wrestler and he's really good uh mm. but he's like no i can't do that but then the track coach came up to me and said hey do you want to try pole vault we need some more points for the team uh so i started to do pole vault and he let me only practice like once a week just because i didn't really need to because i was a gymnast yeah, uh, yeah, the upper body strength. Yeah, yeah. You're good to go. So I did okay mm -hmm. at that. And I started to feel more integrated in the school. And meanwhile, uh, we were learning all sorts of things in, in theology class. And uh, and all these seeds were planted. And I didn't really care for it at the time until maybe my senior year. Actually, my junior year was the start the start of it when the seeds started to, to sprout. Um, a couple of things happened. 9-11 uh, was one of them. We were right outside the 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 skyline. We could see it all happening live. That brought up lots of questions of death and what my future looks like, what the future of the stability of our lives look like. Um, and I had a great scripture uh, teacher at the time, and he just got really real about it. And we looked at various scriptural passages of not just coping, but also uh, the, the story of salvation history. And I started to really consider that as yeah. not just these stories that we learn and are forced on us. I just started to take it on myself, but still, I didn't really take it too seriously. Um, senior year, I had a, an amazing uh, social justice teacher. It was under the theology department and I read my first book. <laughs> I mean, being senior a senior year. in high school and finally yeah. reading a, a whole book without being like, without cheating and using the notes. Cliff the, notes, the, the and, notes. Yeah. yeah. And it was uh, called Nickel and Dimed. And okay. I started to really connect the faith with, with justice and the faith with things that had to do with real life. Mm. And, uh, also right around that time, uh, I had a classmate who, who died and he was in what my junior year theology class with me too. And we were talking about death and all sorts of things were, were going on. My brother was really close with him too. And, um, that, that actually got me talking to a priest who came to watch a lot of the wrestling uh, competitions that I, that I watched as well. And he said something that I'm never going to forget that stuck with me. And that's, you're asking the right questions. 
and he didn't, he, he took me for where I'm at. He, he knew I wasn't a faithful kid and all about the, doing the rosary and going to mass all the time. And he said, you're asking the right questions. I had all these questions that really uh, were, I thought were very pointed and, and uh, I don't know, just a typical teen, rebellious teen asking these questions about uh, what I saw in the church or things about the faith that didn't make sense to me. But if you don't ask the questions, you're not going to get an answer, right? Yeah, I agree. So, so that stuck with me. Would you say it was uh, challenging your faith or really just trying to wrestle with the teachings of the faith? Um, you, did you have a, it's, I it's guess, all a of the above. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You were at that as a senior in high school, though. So that's that's good before you're yeah. pushed away. Well, I, I didn't really see it that way at that time. Yeah. I was just like, it was more like an intellectual thing. Like, that doesn't make sense. I don't know. And, and, yeah. and then, then anger and watching uh, someone die who was really close to my brother who had... Um, uh, who was very much affected by it. Mm-hmm. And my grandfather dying when I was uh, a freshman and just wrestling with all that stuff. And just, but that, that, that seed that he planted saying, you're asking the right questions just helped me to, to, to be okay with where I was at and, and, and not judge myself. And that, I think that's key in the spiritual, in the spiritual life is that you don't judge yourself. You, you submit yourself to our Lord for judgment, but I didn't learn it then but it, it allowed me to cross that threshold. So then I went to college and it all went away. So mm-hmm. uh, I felt like uh, I had to fit in in college. Uh, I was a, went to the closest school that had men's gymnastics at Temple University. And there was the typical hazing. It wasn't that bad, but- the, There but in Philadelphia? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. there's a uh, you have to go through the projects to to get there, don't you? Oh, yeah. It's it's a it's a tough part of town. I've been so yeah yeah yeah. I pretty much lived right on the border of the ghetto. One of my friends got pistol mm-hmm. whipped. Another friend got mugged. Wow. Um, yeah, it was it was bad. <laughs> but uh, when I was there, uh, I felt like I wasn't being myself, and I felt mm-hmm. like I had to fit in and do the jock thing, and uh, I, I I just wasn't being me. So. I thought, okay, it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to to go to mass because my friend actually invited me to mass, and he wow. felt guilty, good old Catholic guilt, right? Uh-huh. He felt guilty because he hasn't gone to mass since he came to, and he's a good old um, Irish Catholic from Boston. I love um, it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess yeah, it's not going to hurt. I'll go to mass, and yeah. it felt very different. This Newman Center wasn't it wasn't a big parish; it was just teens and uh, young adults that are taking the faith seriously. And that hit me. It's like, okay, people aren't just coming because they're told to by their parents. They, they see something here and I need to pay attention to that. So they saw something and I want to know what that was. So I started, Mm -hmm. I I called up that priest and I was just like, well, here's my, here's my new questions. (laughs) I started talking about the real presence and, and somehow that ended up me being a Eucharistic minister. And uh, I thought, okay, well, something just doesn't quite feel right. Like I, and there's this tension inside me about me not being able to be who I felt like I was. And again, it was part of this whole culture and it is part of college culture in general. It wasn't specific to, um, to temple or to the gymnastics team at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, at the same time I started to, and this is where the providence of my story starts to just come, come like right in your face. It's yeah. just like, it's just like, boom, you can't deny it. Uh, I felt like, Gymnastics wise, I felt like I was, I wasn't really very good, but a couple of people, um, on my gymnastics team saw the potential in me and they said, Sean, you, you, you need to try this and this and get, I got the additional coaching that I needed to get better. 
And then I was somewhat of a late bloomer. So my, my sophomore year of college, uh, I started to get as strong as I needed to be to be able to um, support the extra weight that I had and to not be this awkward gymnast. And I started to really do a lot better. And they encouraged me, uh, well, Sean, you, if, if you really want to do well, you need to be on a team that pushes you really hard and you need to have the attention of, of, of a coach that could, that could bring you to where you, where you could possibly end up. Um, so they said, you have to either go to Cal or to Penn state or to Stanford or to Michigan. And I ended up going to UC Berkeley, which is Cal. Uh-huh. And, and when I did that, I told myself, this is a, this is a chance to start over. So I told myself, I made myself several promises. I said, number one, you're going to always be who you are. Number two, you're going to start taking your faith a little bit more seriously and go to mass regularly. And number three, um, you're going to find a girlfriend right away. (laughs) 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 I I got a clean slate. Let's, Uh let's go out and do this. So I, uh, uh, so when I went to, went to Cal, uh, it's, I ended up living with a, a Christian who was on the gymnastics team and found it so weird that he would talk about Jesus as if he was his friend. Wow. And it was just like, okay, well, I started to feel comfortable saying the name of Jesus. Like even, even that much just felt awkward at first, just yeah. saying Jesus's name, hmm. but I, it helped me, helped me feel more comfortable. And I started to go to mass, like I promised myself. And because of that, I started to go to the, the Newman centers, uh, uh student dinners on Sundays. Sure. And then I thought, uh, oh, well, my, this priest that I've been connected to urged me to go on a retreat. So I'm just going to sign up for this retreat. Never been on a retreat before. Mm, So I ended up signed up for the retreat. And because the, the campus minister thought that I was this like very holy person who came to mass all the time. It's like, Oh, Sean, why don't you help us lead the retreat? And I'm thinking, wait, I never been on a retreat before. And maybe he doesn't know this. So I asked that priest and he said, no, 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 no. Just, just go on the retreat. Don't, don't lead it. You just need to be able to, yeah. to receive. Yeah. So I took that as a challenge and I said, okay, I'm going to help lead the retreat. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, yeah. sounds true to uh, your successes in life as a, as a papal ninja. So yeah, keep yeah. on going. Yeah. It's, it's part of my personality, I guess. Yeah. So this is where it all started to come together is I started to make all, make all those connections of it's okay to question the faith is actually connected to everyday life. Um, you you really need to be who you are because you'll be most happy that way. Mm-hmm. And and don't worry about what other people put on you. And trying to develop my talk and listen to other people and help them develop their talks and seeing where everyone is in their relationship with our Lord uh, helped me be really real about it. And that nurturing community environment was the key to bring me into mature faith. And that kind of leads to what I'm doing right now. Well, we'll talk about that later at the lay mission project is, is yeah. the small community of disciples is key to helping someone grow in the faith. You can't really do it all, all on your own, which I tried to do. Um, but it didn't really make sense until that point. So I'll compress the story a little bit from there. Cause that's really the, the, the crux of it. Crux of it. Yeah. Um, I, I had the imagination that if I want to be holy and live out of a, a holy vocation and being a leader in the church, I have to be a priest. So I started mm-hmm. to discern the priesthood and, I was going to go to the Archdiocese of Newark, New Jersey, and go back to my roots in New Jersey. Um, and then I suddenly uh, started to connect with the Salesians of Don Bosco, and I really connected with their their mission of evangelizing the youth. Um, mm. So I started to discern with them instead of going to New Jersey. I lived with them for four years and did ministry with them and 
uh, even became a novice with them. And after my fourth year, just before making vows, it just didn't seem like it was going to be a good fit. And I yeah. wanted to continue to study theology. So I went to the Dominican school and continued to study Salesian uh, history and spirituality and educational method there. Um, but then it was at the Dominican school where I met Father Michael Sweeney, who is now my boss yeah, <laughs> who exactly. uh, in, in the lay mission project. So uh, long story to simply say it was a slow process of coming to the faith. I was a, a cradle Catholic, but I don't think that um, uh, that necessarily was uh, conducive to being where I am right now uh, any more than the, the seeds being planted. And it was really that community um, that that brought me to that, that enabled me that enabled those seeds to to really take root. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. No, there's a lot of similarities to my own life and my own journey. And as a professional trumpet player, uh, that brought me to, you know, one location to the next. And uh, it was my master's year. I had the same sort of thought that you had. It's like, okay, well, if I want to I want to be holy. I guess I've got to become a priest. And uh, and so I did. I was on five different vocational lists and I was discerning the call to priesthood uh, with Dominican, Dominicans up in uh, New Haven, uh, Connecticut, and, um, you know, uh, the Holy Cross priests and, you know, and others. Uh, so, uh, but God has, has brought me to marriage. So I do want to shift and I want to start talking about uh, your, your life as a papal ninja. You've had, um, how many seasons have you been in? Um, I've been in seven. I'm applying right now for my eighth season. I love it. I love it. Um, so Keith Nestor is a friend of mine and I know his son is, oh, yeah. uh, is, is getting involved in, and I love the fact that you have done, uh, the ninja chorus with a priest you've done, obviously for so many years, there's a Catholic influence in these, these, uh, the American Ninja warrior. So let's talk about what inspired you. Like you were a gymnast and you decided that you're not going to become an Olympic gold medalist or something. And then you moved in and decided to uh, become a ninja Do share, share that story. And then I've got a lot more little questions associated with your life as the papal ninja. I, I think you'll you'll be hearing this word a lot in, in anything that I talk about providence. Amen. Um, I, I think the Holy Spirit acts in us and instills our passions and inflames our passions, uh, so that especially for lay people that that you 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 make the the church present and operative in ways in which it only can be through you, and that's key to living a a holy lay vocation. So I, I wasn't about to ignore my passions of wanting to get back into some sort of athletic thing. After being with the Salesians for four years, I did a lot of new things like volleyball and and soccer and and uh, basketball with the kids, but I wasn't really flipping around doing the things that really I'm passionate about. And I saw one of my uh, ex-teammates uh, from, from Cal, he was on the show and he didn't do as well as I expected him to, um, but he looked like he had a lot of fun. And yeah. I was like, oh, Sean, you got to put your money where your mouth is and you got to, you got to try out. So yeah. I looked into whether or not there was a place to to do that sort of thing where I was living. And at the time there wasn't many ninja gyms around the whole country at all. And, but there was one about 30 minutes from where I lived. I'm like, okay, well, I can't ignore that. <laughs> uh, so I just went there, started playing around and I did really well on my first day. And uh, one of the, the veterans who was on the show every single year, um, said, Hey, Sean, you need to, you need to apply. And, and, uh, and just what you have to tell your story. What's your story. And I told him about being a gymnast and, and he's like, ah, no, it's just like, <laughs> like, okay. Well, then he's like, you, you need to tell the story about living with priests. I'm like, yeah. what? You think the producers would, would like that? He said, oh, they'll eat that up. They'll love that. 
like the church is <laughs> not looking favorably <laughs> upon right now. So like, why would I do that? He said, no, trust me. He he knew the producers being on every single year and he gave me some wise advice. He said, they'll, they'll love it. So I told that story. They ate it up. They did a spotlight on me my first year and the rest is history. I just kept on training and kept on getting better. And uh, then eventually I saw it as part of my vocation. It wasn't initially, it was just following my passions. And now I really see the connection with, with actually my vocation. Yeah, that's so great. I appreciate you sharing that. So um, let me ask, have you, do you comfortably enter into uh, kind of the, the, the public limelight? Like, are you, uh, did anxiety play in? How do you hold yourself uh, steady and, and calm when you're, when you're there with, you know, hundreds and thousands and millions of people watching online? I'd love to, I'd love, that's a curiosity that I have is, is, is that something that you've struggled with or is that something that, you know, you're yeah, not burdened by? It's, it's kind of like getting in the water really slowly, like really, really slowly and getting yeah. used to it as you go in. Um, it was more like uh, there when, when you're looking at a camera, there's a, there's a separation between you and all the people on the other side of the camera. And that those things don't really even enter into my head um, to, to some degree. Yeah, because you know that you're looking at this big, scary camera, uh, but yeah. that doesn't really enter there. Um it was more about following my passion and going one step at a time. Uh, being with the Salesians really helped me come out of come out of my shell. Uh, mm. For a while, I wasn't really even comfortable ministering to kids. And I first year, I was uh, teaching computers for fourth through eighth grade, and uh, then I had to, to lead the summer camp. And I was the, the director of a summer camp down in Laredo, Texas, for for a whole summer. Okay. And yeah, these down, things down kind south. of where you have to forget about yourself and you have to do what you're immediately called to in that moment. Mm. Um, is is really where you start to 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 get rid of any of that fear or anxiety that might get in the way of doing what what you're called to do. So those like obviously there's there's some moments where you realize the like the gravity of the situation or or the impact that you could possibly have. And sometimes I would put the uh, put the pressure on myself because of that. But as soon as you refocus on the moment and what you're doing, it it, it goes away for me. So that's it right. And especially when I'm competing, I, I I have this thing that I did when I was in gymnastics. I would raise my hand, salute, and then bow to the or reverence the course. And then as soon as I start to move, all the anxiety goes away because you get in this flow state of just focus. Yeah. And that happens when you're getting interviewed too. You start to just not think about, oh, what did I want to say? How did I want to say it? How do I, I really want to communicate this particular message? Usually, when you're thinking of like of how to, it's not nearly as, I guess, flowy or as authentic or as um, effective as if you're just being yourself doing, uh, doing what you need to do in that moment. Amen. And so the complete parallel to life as a trumpet player, when I am on stage with 2000 people and I'm about to play a solo or something like that, yeah, you fall into that flow, you fall into oh, yeah. that, that muscle memory, that, um, that focus in that zone, you know, game on. And so I appreciate you sharing that I do. Um, I'm curious how how frequently do you practice what what is that what does that schedule look like in your preparation for you know living this life Oh wow uh, usually it's seasonal uh, I <laughs> I work out throughout the whole season but uh the the peak I guess in my peak times starting right about now or next week <laughs> I guess you could say yeah. I'm going to start to to transition to more Definitely in the gym, at, uh, in the ninja gym, two to three times per week. And usually that's for two to four hours. Mm -hmm. And that's doing uh, course runs and um, particular skills training. Um, 
definitely have to focus on technique on things like rope climb and all, you do all the basics over and over, um, do fa- uh, pseudo, um, uh, competitions. Then you, we actually have these competitions that are, that are not based on the show that, that we also do. So that's two to three times a week. And then I'll be running almost every day, like five, five to seven days a week, depending upon what the, the schedule is like. And I go through cycles. There's a eight week training cycle that I prefer to do where you start, you start really easy, then you bump it up to peak and then you dip again, and then you bump it, bump it even higher into peak. And then a couple of weeks before you want to be at your, your maximum performance, you start to taper down a little bit. And then about four or five days before actual competition, you do very little. It's more like just um, preventive rehab and just getting your muscles firing and not really pushing too hard. So that's yeah. usually the flow. Um, so usually almost every day of the week, I'm doing something, whether it's uh, running, doing rehab, act- active recovery or ninja training itself. Yeah, that's so great. So we live in society that convenience and um, entertainment is everywhere. And I want to ask you about this, this sort of challenge, because we have you, you're at a peak performance, right? We were going to be honest here, you got you are at top 1% of of athletes in America or athletes in the world. And um, so you have a level of peak performance that you've been able to achieve through, uh, I guess I would say perseverance, right? Um, I think of Jose Maria Escriva as to begin is easy, but to persevere is sanctity or to be a saint or something. And so I um, I want to ask you about that. How do you, um, do you have have you had to work hard to overcome certain pleasures, you know, and, and those could be anything from watching TV to alcohol, to sugar, to, to things that keep you from performing at your level, because we get a lot of guys that are listening to this show. And that's whenever we bring up, you know, uh, and I want to use this to transition into the spiritual life, but every time we bring up being consistent and steady at work, being consistent and steady in your your not only your spiritual growth but also your physical growth, it's always met with that um, these habits that have been formed that keep them from that. Yeah. Um, so I want to hear any tricks of the trade, anything that you have that has been able to uh, elevate you to to this level. Yeah, habits are a huge part of it, and the easiest way to develop a habit habit is to have a community that helps you keep keep yourself accountable. So whether that community is just a couple of people or a whole team or the whole ninja gym of people that are training with for the next season, um, that's, that's very key. Um, I guess you could say a habit that's that, that we have that orients us away from the good we call vices and mm-hmm. habits that we have that are oriented towards achieving some good ends is virtue. So we, we need to develop virtues and we could use this term a little bit more loosely and say virtues of athleticism because yeah. you have a virtuous, um, um, uh, ability in, in ninja, I guess you could say. Um, but for me, this is where Providence comes in is that I haven't really had to try too hard to force myself to develop the habits that are uh, around athletics because I've enjoyed it so much. And the, the community that I'm around really enjoys it. And the, my favorite part of training is challenges. So you'd say, okay, well, let's try this, try to do this continuously or, or to try and do this under a certain time. And then you go against someone who's right around your same level or even, or even who's a little less than you give them a handicap by giving them a head start or something like that. And you just challenge and challenge and challenge because it's fun. It's playful. And the definition of play, even Aquinas says this is when you do something for its own sake. Um, so 
if you do something for its own sake or, and especially if you're enjoying it, you're doing it playfully. And that's what helps me as, at least with the ninja to, to do, th to develop these good habits. Um, with respect to the spiritual life, it's, it's the same thing. If, if you, if you're going to mass with the whole community or if you're doing adoration, although that's more of a one, like a me and Jesus sort of thing, if you're doing it with other people and you're holding yourself, each other accountable to it. And you talk about the fruits of your contemplation during it, or the fruits of sitting with our Lord, it's a lot more powerful and motivating to continue to go rather than just saying it's on my calendar. Uh, I need to go do this and see you guys later. I'm going to do something and I'll be back. It feels like it's more getting in the way, but if it's integrated into your life in a way that you look forward to it. And part of that is relationship development. And the more you develop a habit, the easier it becomes. So habits facilitate makes easier any sort of action. So if you have a real goal, a real passion to, to obtain a certain ends, you need to develop a habit to do so and, or a virtue, because hopefully we're going for something that is good. Um, yeah. And in order to do so, I would highly recommend gathering people around with the same mindset, with the same goals, with the same oriented toward the same thing. If you have friends who, who, who it's their, their um, desire to become a saint, which I hope you do, then yeah. it's going to be a lot easier to, to maintain that relationship with our Lord, to see the connection between revelation in your daily life, to, to want to dive deep into the riches of scripture, to want to, to, to pray the liturgy of the hours instead of just doing it because you have to is doing it with a friend or even on zoom or even uh, uh, a spouse or just, just something that you could do it together in community helps a lot. And even if you don't have that personality that like more introverted, um, a smaller group usually works or someone that you really connect with. So yeah, there, there's, there's all sorts of ways to develop habits, but that for me personally, that's been the most powerful is, is to do it with friends who have, have, have the same goal, same mindset, same, same ends. Yeah. That brotherhood, that's so important. And likewise, if you surround yourself around a bunch of people who don't care about being yeah. saints or want you to be a saint, right. That adverse effect is going to be there. You're constantly fighting, you know, against the stream. You're constantly trying to, to fit in. And I find myself, you know, uh, in those situations as a professional musician, hanging around, you know, 95% of them non-Christian, definitely not Catholic, you know, uh, uh, struggling to constantly always be a witness and always be an example and always trying to um, call them to something greater while at the same time, we need that ourselves. We need that brotherhood. We need that support. So yeah. I appreciate that. I want to talk about briefly about um, your season 11 or warrior 11, where you had, um, I mean, in, in, when, when we talk about it, right. So you, um, if I understand this correctly, and I've watched, I've watched you on, on TV. I've also watched a bunch of YouTubes. It was an enjoyable preparation for this episode. Um, so you were nursing a broken foot. And then in that same season, you on the course, is this right? You dislocated your shoulder yeah. And then like, like a man, our title is be a man, be a saint, right? Like a man, you tried, you tried relocating it and, uh, and, and, and moving forward. Tell me about your emotional, uh, psychological game during that, during that season, um, which was likely yeah. a very tough and challenging season. Uh, was there ever thoughts of, of, of giving up or was it just, this was the, hand that I was dealt. And now it's my opportunity to use this to grow in holiness. I'd, I'd love to hear from you on that. Uh, it's, it's all of the above. Uh, there's obviously the, the initial reaction, the huge amount of pain when I hurt my, my ankle, I think it was November 17th. I don't know why I remember that <laughs> of, the, of mm -hmm. this preseason and the season starts in, in, in March. And I was like, there's, there's no way I'm, I'm out this season. And it was so devastating. 
Um, and it took for what felt like forever to recover, um, and a lot of pain. And, but fortunately the, the producers allowed me to, to push off the, the date of qualification instead of going to my region. I went with the last region of qualifying instead of the oh, first cool. region of qualifying, like the West coast usually is. So that was a blessing. Um, and I, I was just so motivated because at that time we were starting to, uh, build my gym and it was supposed to initially just be a training facility for elite ninjas. And then it started to just blossom into this huge facility. Mm. It's one of the biggest in the country now. But at that time I had a very strong support system and people are like, no, no, it's just another obstacle I have to overcome. It'll be great for your story and really pushing me in, in that way. So I had the emotional support that I needed. Um, I also had the spiritual support that I needed as well. And I, I, I saw this as part of my vocation and I was okay. I was able to let go of not competing that, that season. Um, but it turns out I was capable of it and, and I did. And I trained so hard that season, well, every season, but that yeah. season, I was quite confident that if I got to, um, to stage three, I would be able to beat stage three and I'd be able to, uh, climb the rope fast enough to win the million dollars for total victory. Kansenseha, they say, <laughs> it's the <laughs> Japanese, uh, total victory. Um, so I got to the national finals stage one and my shoulder just popped out of its socket. Um, has that ever happened before? No, never. No. <laughs> oh, and <laughs> I, I saw, I've seen people, uh, pop it back in and I thought, okay, well maybe I could pop it back in and just finish. Um, and I just, I, you could see in the video like that and try and get it. It just wouldn't go. So I, I knew that I would be hurting myself and doing a disservice to, um, or, or myself and, and even the whole community, if I were to try and push through and get even more injured, but I didn't want to fall in the water. So my feet were holding me up in the spider climb or this spider traverse, jumping spider to the traverse. And, uh, and I was like, all right, well, I don't want to go in the water. I have a dislocated shoulder. So I just like hopped <laughs> and I finally was able to climb on the side. And I said, I'm done that, which disqualified me to tell me, cause I could have finished that obstacle, just hopping through it just to get through one more obstacle. But I'm like, no, Sean, just, you need to set a limit. So, uh, Good for you. They, they popped it back in. I, I knew that as soon as I said, I'm going to pop it back. I, I want them to pop it back in. And the, the producer on the sidelines, eyes lit up like, oh, it's going to be gold for the, for the show. And I'm like, ooh, I'll get some more coverage. This would be great. So uh, in, in that moment, I'm like, all right, we're making the best of it. I'm out this season. I have to show, show people the joy that's in my heart right now because I, I really enjoyed it. it. It really stinks that I can't continue. I felt like really prepared this year, but obviously I wasn't quite prepared. <laughs> if my yeah. shoulder wasn't strong enough to hold on to that. Um, they popped back in. I smiled because it was a huge relief and, and no more pain. Uh, then the next day, it really hit me hard just watching everyone compete. And it felt like it was the easiest stage three that they've ever made mm -hmm. that year. And I felt like, man, I was totally gypped. Um, yeah. so these thoughts just keep on creeping in and going back and forth. And I have to keep on telling myself, reminding myself of all the providence that led me to this point and, and knowing that I'm, I'm okay. And that, that, uh, that I have not been forsaken and that, yeah, it does suck. I have to at least admit that, but at the yeah. same time, um, you will be sustained and this is for God's glory and you'll, you'll, you'll continue to, to, to do this. So, yeah, uh, very cool. Whether we witnessed it or not. And uh and can so then season 12 or Warrior 12 came along and uh you were back in action. Yeah, that that season I think uh, missing season 12 was the 
I'm mixing them all up. Oh yeah, that was that was the COVID season. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. He ran with uh, father. That was a modified right? season. Uh, I didn't do as well as I wanted to. I made a silly mistake in the semifinals and got ahead of myself. I th- started thinking of the next obstacle before I finished that one. Took it for granted and made a mistake. So I learned my lesson on that one. Yeah, <laughs> that probably yeah. has some spiritual parallels too. Amen. Uh, Amen. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the spiritual parallels. You chose you chose the title Papal Ninja. I guess we haven't really talked about that as to other than, you know, the suggestion that uh, you being a Catholic and living with priests would be good for the show. But like, you know, I mean, your your attire that you wear, you know, the Vatican flag and all of that. Uh, you know, we have that. There it is. Yeah, we have the in our logo. We have the, you know, tiara, uh, the papal tiara. So tell us a little bit about why you chose the papal ninja. And, um, and, you know, and spiritually what you've learned, you know, throughout this, this process of always staying on your game and you're getting older. And so, uh, likely the challenges are increasing just by age. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, the, the same person, Brian Kresh, who told me I need to focus on the, the living with priests story and being the Catholic ninja. Um, he was one of the people that helped me come up with some sort of name. And I was saying how, because uh, everyone has a moniker, most people have a moniker and they they yeah. they have one thing that really defines them because that's how you pitch yourself on TV because they only have time to show one aspect of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to be the Catholic ninja as if like I'm t- having a monopoly on it. And I also didn't want a name that was beating someone over the head. And that's my approach that I take with evangelization too. I'm not going to pour something down someone's throat. And a lot of people are prejudiced and I wouldn't want them to to hear Catholic Ninja and think something uh, and avoid a conversation with me. So papal is kind of a, a, a innocuous term that most people don't yeah. know. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? Like paper? Or does that mean, yeah. uh, uh, what does that mean? Does it doesn't mean Papa. Mm-hmm. Uh, does it mean priest? And like, no, 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 no. So it gives me the opportunity that if they didn't know, and they, if they were to be prejudiced, uh, I'm already door. in conversation with them and then I could explain it to them and they'll encounter me for who I am and not for who they imagine me to be because I'm already in conversation with them. So it's kind of a trap. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a, yeah. a sneaky way to enter into a conversation with people. Um, and I, and I'm drawing a parallel between uh, ninja and the term apostles so the apostle, the yeah. one who is sent, yeah. um, sent to help accomplish the, 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 the mission of the one who sent them. And that's what a ninja does. They're, they're, I guess you could say emissaries. They're, they're they're sent by their their master and to uh, to stealthily accomplish the mission. And that's what lay people do. They not necessarily in a in a manipulative sort of way, but as a as the Second Vatican Council encourages, as eleven in the world. Mm-hmm. So we're like yeast and bread, or, or throughout the whole bread, or throughout every area of secular society. And just by living the faith and witnessing our relationship with our Lord and ordering temporal affairs to the plan of God, we are like a ninja. We're stealthily helping bring the bring the kingdom of God on earth and and ordering temporal affairs to the mission to. To, to the kingdom. So yeah. that's, that's how, that's how I explain it, especially when I'm talking to kids uh, of, of what papal ninja means. And I yeah. help them all to understand that they're ninjas as well. They're papal ninjas. They're related, they're related to the Pope. They're related to, to the Vatican and you can be proud of it. And you can wear uh, a Vatican flag like you would for a sporting event and wear the American flag or wear the Portuguese yeah. flag or the, any other flag that you'd wear for like, yeah, you're it's, it's, it's a country too. So be, right. be proud of your, your, your papal background, your Vatican background. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Oh, I think that's so great. And so um, before we start talking about uh, the Lay Mission Project, I want to hear, 
I guess just a joy that you've had as an American Ninja Warrior. Like what is what is a shining moment and and talk a little bit about that and what you were able to experience with some of your victories. Uh, wow. <laughs> um the first thing that actually came to mind, I'll talk about a more personal one uh yeah. about myself, but the first thing that came to mind was the when when I'm coaching people especially on the sideline, cheering them on, or if I give them a, a little piece of what we call beta, which is uh, an approach to doing something, um, a technique, um, yeah. and seeing that beta work and seeing the joy that it brings them uh, is is just so so amazing to that, that you could uh, be, I guess, part of their reason that someone else is succeeding. And I'm, you could just see me on the on the sidelines if you're watching if you're watching the show, just freaking out, so happy that the other people are doing so well. Um, and that's a huge part of Ninja that we're an amazingly supportive community. Um, and part of that is because you have to tell your story, and that's it gives someone the opportunity to start like with an icebreaker. Oh, what's your story? They, that gets pretty deep pretty fast, especially when people have tough stories like yeah. cancer survivors or loss of a parent or uh, anything. And you start to talk about your passions right away. Um, so that's the first thing that came to mind. But second is is I guess my my breakout season. Uh, when I was the first person to to beat stage two and to overcome this crazy huge obstacle that was the, the wing nuts that were twelve feet apart and no one was beating, and I you can even see it in my eyes when I'm approaching it. I, I look up and I and I look to the side and I'm thinking, I see how I could get this. Like <sighs> so many people are wasting a lot of energy taking lots of swings to get going. I have to put a hundred percent energy into b- building the swing really fast. And get really high and absorb on the way down instead of just zooming right at it and catching it and then trying to hold on with all your momentum. So yeah. I, I was able to see differently. And I tell the kids that it's part of that that prayer that that I pray in the very beginning. It's uh, help me to see with uh, asking the Holy Spirit to come to come into my heart. Then then asking to banish all the fear, doubt, and shame, anything that would get in the way from help me perform as I ought to. And then comes the key part of the uh, of the petitions is help me to see with you, to move with you, rejoice with you that I may proclaim you to the glory of God, the father. So seeing with you is literally seeing with our Lord. It's not like seeing like our Lord would, but if we're, if we're taking on our office or is vicarious office, it's, it's standing in the place of, we are representing our Lord standing with him in the world. We're participating in his mission. So even, even in something such as Ninja warrior, I am, in the place of our Lord in the world, proclaiming the good news. Amen. And as abstract as that might sound, it feels right. <laughs> and, yes. and it makes more sense once you actually live it out. So it I'm, I'm saying this prayer before I'm going, help me to see with you and boom, like I felt like I could see differently and like, I know I could finish this. So I caught the first one, a couple of people caught the first one. I'm thinking, oh, I have so much more confidence catching the third one. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to finish it. I started to really think this is really going to work. And I caught the third one. I'm like, all I need is a dismount and landed on my butt and it hurt my butt, but it was okay. <laughs> it was there. Um, you yeah, went in the water. I, I got through it and I got to the end. And I have I've don't remember a time where I had that much like excitement and screaming and support of my family and the support of the fans and support of the producers and everyone just there all for me. And I felt so special in that very moment. And that is something that I want to, to, to pay forward. And I, even on the sideline interview right afterwards, it's like, it helps me to understand who I am and that, and that is loved. And I want other people to be loved like that too. So 
that's that's the yeah. that's what comes to mind when you ask me that question. I love it. Well, and and anybody listening to this episode can hear your faith. I mean, it's it's very clear that you're that you are a Catholic. You're proud of being Catholic, and you're constantly growing in your faith and your understanding and how to evangelize that. So, thank you so much. If we can find a clip of that uh, moment, we'll put it in the show notes. And so. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see, and you've been seeing this whole time right behind Sean, um, is is a huge, uh, yeah, Holy Spirit, hi, perfect, uh, uh, um, stained glass window, you know, kind of in uh, a studio setting. So tell us where you are, and uh, there you go, exactly. Tell us where you are, and tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for years with the Lay Mission Project and what what the goal is. I want to start talking about that. So I currently work for the Dominicans, the Western Dominican province. Uh, and I'm the the director of a project, the operations director of a project that is to form lay people. It's called the Lay Mission Project. Mm-hmm. And I'm at, here at St. Albert Priory, at St. Albert the Great Priory in Oakland, California. And in the basement, we built a studio. So That's this is great. the Lay Mission Project studio. Um, so what we do is we form lay people and that's a real formation. It's not just education. It has to have a, so for something to be a formation, it has to have a spiritual discipline. It has to be communal. You can't form yourself. It has to be oriented towards a mission. It's not just about learning the theology and speaking of theology it has to be systematic. So there has mm-hmm. to be a systematic approach oriented around a mission in community. Uh, and, and if those things aren't part of it, then it's not a formation. And we tried to think, what is what is an effective way that we could form the laity to be leaven in the world to 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 give them that experience that I was talking about earlier about that community experience to to help keep each other accountable and passionate oriented toward the mission of making the church present and operative in ways in which it only can be through them and how do we help people see differently see in light of revelation what's a practical way that we could systematically give someone a spirituality that is oriented toward that and how do we sustain that so that's what we thought of from the very beginning we were uh, father michael and i and a couple of other people uh, imagined what that might look like. Um, we have to possibilitize. We have to see yeah. what what it could possibly look like and figure out a practical way to make that happen. And I think we're the the first that I know of to offer such a thing that is oriented toward the formation of the laity, particularly for their ad extra, their external mission, not not for uh, for ecclesial ministry or. Um, internal ministry, uh, we 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 separate or we d- distinguish between ministry and apostolate. Ministry being uh, the care of the baptized, and apostolate being sent outward. So we have an apostolic formation, and it's a three-year process that we bring people through. And we're finally starting to expand. We started in Sacramento um, for the last two cohort cycles, which was six years, and yeah. we're ready to to expand. We're going to to San Francisco, hopefully the whole Bay Area. Um, we have a small group in Dallas, and hopefully we're going to be expanding there in the future. And uh, hopefully it'll be throughout the whole country and the whole English-speaking world. But for now, um, that's that that we're focusing on the the groups that we can um, yeah. really influence as a whole because we don't want to just do a piecemeal. Like a little, some people here, some people there. They have to meet in person, yeah. and they have to meet in person as a whole group. And we are giving them retreats as part of it, in-person retreats where the whole cohort comes together and we're doing workshops together as a whole group. 
Um, so let me take a step back. So it's a three-year process. The first two yeah. years, they 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 learn about um, like fundamental theology, specifically oriented towards the layperson. And the last course of that whole process is um, of the first two years is about Catholic social teaching, which we which we hold to be the, the one of the greatest kept secrets of the Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. um, and then the whole third year is based on that course, basically, of where does that practically um, come into play in our daily lives. So we're not talking about theology specifically anymore, but where that where the touch points are in the secular realm. So we'd look at um, uh, science, we look at arts, um, we look at business, economy, law and politics, and all the areas of secular engagement that everyone is affected by, not necessarily our experts in, but are affected by. And how is it that we are called to live the faith in those areas? Mm. Um, and at the end of this whole process, they go through a um, this reflection process that we call, consider our capstone, where they could explain how the the formation has has uh, taken root in their life. And sometimes some people choose to do a project to uh, or a, a new initiative in order to explain in order to explain it and to to really integrate it even further. So it's a on, most hybrid of online and in-person formation where they they about one hour of lecture per week that they do on mm -hmm. their own at their own convenience um, is divided into 15 to 20 minute videos. And they just watch that three times in a week. They end up. Uh, uh, taking quizzes. We don't call them quizzes anymore because people were neurotic about that term. Yeah, <laughs> so right, we call it right. reviews. Um, so at the end of each topic, they have a review. We give them spiritual reading. Uh, Lexio Divina is a huge part of what we teach. Um, so we give them lexios that are rel relevant to what they uh, are learning about. Uh, and then every two to three weeks, they get together in their small community and right. they talk about how it is, uh, how the how what they learned is applicable to their immediate uh, daily life. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's what makes it most effective. That's what get, the, the glue that holds this, these communities together. We have very little attrition rate. Um, it's been about 15% um, yeah. after a three-year process, which we were expecting like 60% or even yeah. 40 to 60% because of how um, demanding it is. Because it's, it's, it's not a, a small commitment. It's like three to even five hours a week, depending upon how, how much you want to put into it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we've been seeing a lot of success and we're, we're, we're really excited to do, to be expanding right now. And hopefully we have the support we need to, to, to yeah, do that. Praise be to God. Suspect we will. So you're talking really kind of a lived theology, right? Like this idea of how do we practically as lay individuals, not only understand the faith or understand the faith as it relates to us, but then how do we actually practically live that in our day-to-day -day lives? What are some examples that, um, that individuals have been able to adopt, or is it more just kind of like this holistic transformation on how they're talking to their neighbors next door, or talking to their neighbors at work? I'd, I'd love to hear yeah. some of those those testimonies. It, 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 it's all of the above. One of the first things people ask when we're when we're talking about this: Well, what do I get out of it? Well, yeah, what's in it for me? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, nope. it's kind of the wrong question to ask. But if you tell someone that, then you're discouraging them. So that's not a good response. You're asking the wrong questions. <laughs> so you, right. you give them the answer. Well, what what what? what do you get out of it? Well, first of all, you get this amazing community and relationship with our Lord that you didn't have yet. So it's more mm -hmm. like the question then becomes, well, what are you missing if you don't have it? Um, if you don't, if you're not formed, you don't have this community of, of support. You don't have this community that helps you see with our Lord um, to help you to, to really live the faith. And the living the faith isn't a matter of, of this top-down duty, but it's a matter of, of becoming fully alive. And and excited about what you what you do. The, the, again, go back to the Vatican two documents in Lumen Gentium. It's the web in which your existence is woven. 
So it's not like putting on this, 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 um, this person, this persona, that's not you, it's helping you yeah. live your core self. So, well, what do you get out of it? You well, you get to, you get to live your vocation. That's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but practically speaking, um, they, uh, wait, one more time. What was the specific yeah, testimonies, specifically testimony, testimonies okay. of these people yeah. who, who've gone through it and how they've actually practically lived it out and, and yeah. some transformation that you've seen. So, so from the very beginning, we, we uh, from our first cohort cycle, we wanted to talk to the facilitators. We have facilitators who we form just to be able to make these conversations happen within the small groups. And they're yeah. taking the formation at the same time as everyone else. And there are liaisons to understanding how the formation is going. And from the very beginning, we were, we were told, oh, we have to talk to this person. You have to talk to this person. So we started talking to these individuals after two or three weeks of the formation that they, because the first course is, is the lay vocation. And it's about what your life is like or what you're called to. And it gives them a whole new imagination for, for, um, for how they are to see themselves in the world. And a number of people from the very beginning said, Oh, I, I look at work completely different now. Like I used to just hate it. I was looking forward to my retirement in five years. I was looking at, or, or, um, I just started this new job that I didn't really like, but now I see it as a huge opportunity. Um, or it's like, I'm, I'm a financial planner. And now I see what I do towards the good and helping people to, to live a, a life of happiness. And, and it, it's just, and, oh, and also social justice. Like, like I, I'm able to orient the, the investments of people people into something that would have a, a greater impact on the world instead yeah. of just what what is the the biggest um what is the, the biggest someone uh the biggest return, return someone get on their investment financially but there's also the the good that you could get out of it as well so that's becoming a, a new part of people's understanding of of investment so you yeah. start to see things very differently um but uh speaking of capstones like what are some practical ways people have have done something that has completely changed either their orientation towards the world or um changed something about society uh i, I guess most people have an imagination for ad intra so internal ministry so mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that that started this because they're already uh helping out as in their ministry of the church um so they would uh so a whole group of people from chico california decided to do a common project and that's to um to re- revamp their RCIA by adding a program before RCIA that helps people transition toward it and also a mystagogia program that they developed based on our small community method um that helps people live their life in a sacramental way and apply it to their daily life so mm-hmm. a lot of times RCIA people just dump people in there like they start to inquire in the faith okay take a class it's like no, no that's yeah. not the way to do it you have to look, look at their thresholds of where they're at and able to to have in certain conversations so they developed a program that is based on being able to see where people are in their faith and have real conversations with them have dinner with them just converse with them and when they're ready then put them in there into the rsa program and then after rsa you don't just dump them because there's there's a huge attrition right now after rsa people yeah, on fire so with true. the faith and then they just leave because right. the whole mystagogia part is just missing or there's a disconnect so they developed another part uh, for their parish that that walks with them during this year and then they were asked by the diocese to develop this as a diocesan endeavor and to make it available to other other churches uh, within the diocese too so that was a huge uh, i guess God. win Absolutely. Um, oh, I think that's so great. Yeah, and then add, add extra though. So or, or the rubber really meets the road is how people are living, living the faith in their daily life. And uh, 
one prime example of that that we like to tell is one of the participants was a um, a civics teacher, a social studies teacher in high school, and he completely redid his his curriculum based on Catholic social teaching, and he didn't didn't give the source. So looked at the the necessary societies, looked at um um uh, um. Uh, like I said, broader like subsidiarity, the principle of subsidiarity. Yeah, scary, looked at all yeah. sorts of things of of the the interplay of the church within uh, the secular world, developing Western society in a way that people don't know about. Um, yeah. So uh, the the kids loved it. It started conversations that they that they wouldn't have ever had before in a social studies course. The principal loved it, and I think he's actually now helping others develop uh, their courses based on Catholic social teaching as well. Yeah, so that, that's a huge win. So we're we're helping people orient their understanding. Of, of how can you be leaven in the world? How could you see in light of revelation and act in the world in a way that doesn't beat people over the head, but but produces the good that we're called to produce? And that's right. It sounds like he's been a ninja in his own right, stealthily, you know, <laughs> sneaking it into social, uh, his social studies. I think that's really great. Uh, yeah. Real quick, remind me, you said in formation, I, I don't know, I think you said there were four things necessary, but uh, remind me and our listeners what's required of formation again. Uh, you did such a good yeah. job, and I want to make sure that that really, you know, stinks, sticks in. Yeah, well, first of all, for the, what distinguishes formation from just education is is yeah. the fact that there's a spiritual discipline involved. Yeah. So it, you, you, formation is a matter of the person, a matter of of the heart, I guess, if you want to speak more poetically about it. And yes, our intellect being um, shaped in a way can certainly form our heart, um, but it's not necessarily a, a thing that we connect intellectually to our daily life. And uh, the philosophical principle is action follows being. It's not uh, so where our action is going to follow who we truly are. So mm-hmm. we have to form ourselves to act in a certain way. Don't just fake it by acting and because that's not necessarily coming from our very being. And that's not going to be very fulfilling either. We can do good things that way, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to, it's, it's going to perpetuate itself and make it easy. It's not going to facilitate that um, virtue, that habit. So formation has to be uh, a spiritual discipline. Um, second, I guess it would have to be systematic. Like most education programs, it's, it's, it's systematic. It's not just piecemeal. It's not just saying, okay, well, what, what do you want to learn about? Oh, I'll learn about um, um, scripture. Okay, now I'll learn about um, the history of the church. Okay, I'll, if if it's approached in a way that that um, that, we, that we approached it, it's more of a formative thing. It's more of how can this take root in your daily life? So we we looked at a um, a, a priestly formation and and asked ourselves the questions. Well, we looked at the pillars of formation that 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 the the plan for plan for priestly formation uses, and we articulated it in a way that that is really more lay oriented. So we tried to build something from the ground up that is always asked the question: How can a lay person receive this, and how does a lay person how does this affect a lay person's calling? Yeah. So. So it has to be systematically presented in that way. And all of our presenters, all of our professors, most of them are our professors um, that uh, that were in our project, they develop every course from the ground up. It's not just adapting their current courses. And every single topic had to have a practical aspect of it and ask ask hard questions and give prime examples as to how this, how this um, looks in their daily life so that they could carry on that conversation in their small communities. So first it has to be, um, form, first it has to be a, a matter of the heart, a spiritual discipline. discipline. Second, it has to be systematic education. Um, third, it has to be communal. 
Communal. Um, yeah, there's there are our, our, God is communal. Um, uh, if if we're, we're we're not isolated, we have this imagination for for being autonomous individuals in society, even that's simply not true. Yeah, we're a com- we're a community, um, and there's ways to do this online, but uh, the glue that holds our formation together is the in person component of it. Agreed. I don't think there's anything online that's capable. I mean, it's a bit by the mere nature of our incarnational selves, right? I mean, our yeah. incarnational beings that we we have to be. This as as great as this is on a spectrum. This this Zoom interview is is far more limited than if we were sitting <laughs> in the same room together. You know, yeah, exactly. So completely agree. Yeah. So it has it has to be in person. It has to be communal. Um, there's there's aspects of our gesture that that we don't that even this communicating with you live in a way is yeah. is being left out because we're not in person. Um, right. So there there's there's some sort of spiritual reality to that as well. And no matter how good of a technology we have, we're not quite there to, to be able to communicate this personal thing in in, in an impersonal way. So, Agreed. And I would say our listeners, and we talk about this all the time, we need to distance ourselves from that, which is keeping us from the, that communal gathering. So yeah. I'm a big proponent that if you are going to a restaurant, uh, you don't you don't leave your phone out on the table like your phone yeah. is in your pocket or in your car. Right. So that you can really invest in that situation right there with that person and that being that God's calling you um, uh, to be with at that time is oh, yeah. is such a such a lesson and such a need in our society that's lacking because of the convenience and addiction addictive natures of technology so amen yeah it has to, you have to you have to be attentive to the other in order to and and that helps you forget about yourself too when you're attentive yeah. to the other you're you're not focused on yourself and it actually helps you define who you are a lot better is when you're attentive to other people mm-hmm. and that's something that that we're missing out a lot on and if we're doing something even forming ourselves, we're focusing on ourselves rather than our mission. And that yeah. the mission is the is the fourth thing that that we have to have in order to have a formation. That is that mission. if our systematic presentation of material isn't oriented towards a mission, it's not a formation. And uh, we don't really have an we meaning the church uh, as a whole uh, in documents, yes, but as a whole, don't have an understanding of what is the mission of the layperson. There's no real understanding of of agency of a layperson mm-hmm. that's lost oftentimes into the, our imaginations that think we're passive recipients of the graces of the sacraments and the priest gives us and gives us and gives us and we have to sit there in the church holy and and pray pray pray, but if it has no connection with our real auton- uh, autonomy and authority in the world, and we're being sent out at the end of mass, either miss est, it's like we, you are sent. Well, it's not just a, a, a nice little thing to say. That's right. It really is. You it's not have a handshake. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. I'm recommissioning you based on your baptismal call to stand in the place of our Lord in his salvific mission in the world. You take this seriously. You go out the, 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 the faith, the, the Eucharist can't be the source and summit of our daily, uh, of our daily lives as Christians if we're not taking it out and we're not leaving the Eucharist in the world and not taking everything that we, that we, that we gift to the world and that we receive from the world and bringing it back to that source and having it blessed and broken and shared with us in the, in, in the liturgical context. So that's supposed to be this, this uh, respiratory thing, I guess you could say of this outward flowing and inward bringing and being sanctified with us, with the community of the church in the Eucharist. And this, this, this like systematic, like I said, respiration 
if that doesn't happen, you're 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 totally missing the boat with respect to what our what our, what our mission is of the church and our liturgical celebration. And that would be really sad if we have all these devout people that are all about piety without any context of mission. And that's what we're all about. The lay mission project is is connecting your devotion to your daily life and being fed, not only just being fed, but feeding others. Amen. Well, I'm going to encourage the men listening to this episode to rewind and listen to you that last five minutes. That was that was powerful. <laughs> I couldn't say it. Yeah, I kind of get excited myself. about things and just start talking and talking. So sorry about that. But. No, I think it was great. It was so well stated. And certainly uh, we need to hear more of that. So thank you. So uh, last question, just to, to wrap up this great conversation, is anything you want to leave men with? Any Any bits of wisdom or thoughts that you'd like to really impress upon men? And then where can they find you and whatever you state, I'm going to throw in the show notes to make sure they go to the website for the lay mission project for any, um, you know, social pages that you have or those things, but taking a step back, anything you want to leave men with as, as a reminder or as a calling. It's a pretty serious question. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. Want, I don't want to just throw someone out there, but see that the spirits, uh, bubbling up inside me right yeah, now. Amen. Like I said, I think guys could just rewind and listen to the last five minutes. <laughs> what you yeah. That's that's good calling. But yeah, if there's anything else. Um, yeah, I, I want to actually share with with the men out there um, something about hope. Um, actually, I went to confession this morning. I, I like to, to do that before any sort of interview or anything where I, I need to be, I need to have the grace of our Lord to, to, to proclaim him in the world. Hmm. Um, and I was told something that that really hit me hard. I've heard it in other ways, but I guess in the sacramental moment, it it, it really absorbs differently. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's to to prefer revelation over what is apparent. And that sounds a little abstract. Let me flesh that out. Yeah, it's easy to look at what is and what is presenting itself in the world and become either uh, distraught or pessimistic or lose hope about it, but if we have confidence in our Lord and confidence in revelation, what has been revealed to us as to what is, what is the church and what is your role in the world and, and what is the Holy or who is the Holy spirit in your life and, and how the spirit really moves in and through you and how you're called to participate in, in, in this mission of the church in the world that has been revealed. And this revelation is something that we always need to go back to and prefer over our own uh, understanding of what has been most apparent in the world. So it's easy to become pessimistic and we need to, to, to develop habits that, that push back on that and that, that are rooted in the hope of our Lord. And if we prefer revelation over, um, over what is apparent, and this goes for ourselves too, not just, uh, what is the church or what is, um, uh, supposed to be in the world. If we prefer this, um, we can take confidence in it and it gives us this hope and it gives us this, this, this desire to do this more in the world. So I guess that that's what the spirit, how the spirit is moving in me today through my own weakness, through my own, um, challenges of, of, of seeing where the church is at in the world and seeing how slow it is to, to, to realize what, what I see to be true in the, in the, with the lay mission project and in, in our specific mission of forming the laity, because I see that as as a root of uh, or, uh, the the key to 
to bring the church to where it's called to be is through real formation and through men and women who are on fire with the faith. And that happens only in community who with through people who are formed and living your daily life and uh, living your calling in your daily life. So if we don't have this hope because we're looking at what's most apparent and we we get caught up in that, then we're not going to 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 be effective agents in the world. And we have real authority, real agency of the church in the world. In order for that to happen, we need to lean on what has been revealed to us. Amen. Well, thank you. I think that was powerful. I really appreciate you sharing that. And thank you for that uh, that wisdom, that inspiration that you shared with us, not just there, but throughout this whole episode. And so where can where can men find you um, if they're just listening? And it'll be in the show notes, but why don't you do one one final plug? Um, the I guess the easiest thing is uh, if you're on social media is on on Instagram is usually what I use most to converse with people. Uh, Papal Ninja, P-A-P-A-L-N-I-N-J-A. Um, I try to respond to everything that I receive. Sometimes it takes a lot longer than others, especially if an episode recently aired. <laughs> yeah. um, and other than that, you go to laymission.net and check out what we do. We're in the middle of of revamping our, our website and everything else. So uh, you might want to check into that regularly until we're, we have some better material out there. But laymission.net, you can connect with me via email, either at sean at papalninja.com or if it's related to Lay Mission Project. Um, it would be S as in Sean, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at laymission.net. Uh, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Well, thank you. So again, I'm just really grateful for your time, grateful for who you are and what you've been able to share with us and our listeners. So uh, congratulations on all your successes and uh, and you're in our prayers. Thank you so much. It, it was great to have me um, or it was great to be on and yeah. you can have me anytime. Amen. Well, as we end every episode, be a man, be a saint. <laughs>